So 1 Samuel 17, we're going to turn there again, the story of David and Goliath. In the story of David and Goliath, we see a lot of emotion. Just in the the few verses that describe the account of David and Goliath, there is a lot of emotion. First, we have confidence, Goliath's confidence. When he goes out as a Philistine... Goliath has complete confidence that he is going to overtake the army of Israel. He has no doubt in his mind Goliath, as a nine and a half foot tall giant, a warrior from his youth, Scripture tells us, Goliath had no doubt that he would win whatever battle he entered into. And so he extends that challenge. He says, send me a man to fight. If I defeat him, you'll become our slaves. That's the side Goliath was wagering on. He says, but if, they, if he beats me, we'll become your slaves. But even in saying that, we can hear Goliath's confidence that he knew he was going to win. So you have Goliath's confidence. You have fear, the Israelites' army fear. Goliath extends this, this challenge to them. Send me one man. He says, I defy you, I defy your king, I defy your God. And what do the Israelites do? Instead of confidently marching into battle, the Israelites turn and run in great fear. They forgot who was on their side. They forgot that God had their back at all times and in all ways. So we have confidence, we have fear, we have excitement. David, a shepherd boy sent by his father to take food to his brothers, David gets there to the camp, the army camp. He asks around, where are my brothers? Where are my brothers? Where are my brothers? They're up on the front line. David drops the food and he runs with great excitement to the battle lines. Confidence, fear, excitement. And then there's confusion. Confusion by David. He gets to the, 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 the front lines, the battle lines. He hears this taunt of Goliath. And David is completely confused, and he says, I don't get it. Who is this guy, this uncircumcised Philistine, to defy the army of the living God? Who is this man who thinks that he is greater than our God? I have no other way to classify it than great confusion on David's part. We have confidence and fear and excitement and confusion, and then right in the middle of this, there's anger. Anger. Now, we could understand if there's anger from the Israelites toward Goliath. If they, even after they run in fear, if they get back to their camp and they say, you know what, I'm so angry at this guy, I cannot believe he would do this. Let's come up with a plan to take him down. We could understand it if there's anger from the Israelites toward Goliath. Or toward the Philistines. We could even understand if it's the Philistines that are angry with the Israelites. But what we find is that the anger goes from one Israelite to another. What we find is that the anger goes from one brother to another. We talked about Eliab, David's oldest brother, a few weeks ago. I want to read this verse again from 1 Samuel 17, 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, asking around, who is this guy? David asking around, who's going to take him down? 
Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the other men. He burned with anger at him. Do you hear those words? He burned with anger. How many of us have ever burned with anger? Yeah. It's funny because I've had this down, this, this particular theme for a number of weeks, and as I began to, to, to think over it, pray over it, even last Sunday afternoon, began to put some things down Monday morning, my prayer was, God, reveal to me any anger in my life, right? That's a healthy prayer, right? And then I was bold enough to, in the middle of this prayer, say, because God, I don't think I'm angry about anything. It's a dangerous prayer. Try to pray it. Pray it today. See what happens. 4 a.m. No, I'm sorry. Take that back. 3.30, Tuesday morning, the next, the next day, I woke up from... I don't dream, friends. I don't have dreams. I woke up from this, and I was so angry at the person I was dreaming about. So much so it started to burn. I told my wife the next day, I said, it started to burn in my gut. I was so angry. And you could feel it. You ever do that? You ever get so angry and you can feel it up in your chest and you think, it's nobody here. Everybody's looking at the other way. It's you. It's you. No, no, no. Has nothing. It was, it was nobody here. No one that, uh, that any of you know, for, to, to be honest. But it, it burned within, it was like this guttural feeling of, oh, I want revenge. And then this feeling in my, in my chest, like, oh, I cannot believe. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And you know how, like, when you're angry and you're seeking revenge, you kind of get that sadistic smile. I'm trying to go back to sleep at this point. It's 3.40 in the morning. Finally gave up about 4 a.m. and said, you know what, God, if you're, if you're telling me this, I need to go pray about it. I need to figure something out because this person has no idea that I'm angry with them. I wonder if any of the rest of you ever get that anger if I'm just that unholy. Right? But that's what the, 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 the type of anger that I imagine Iliab had toward his youngest brother. This anger, it says, that burned within him. Now, I'd add that this anger that Iliab felt, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, this anger that Iliad felt had been simmering within him for quite a while. He'd been simmering with anger against David, just waiting for the opportunity to erupt at him, to boil over, if we take that illustration a step forward. You see, because months before it, Iliab saw the prophet Samuel coming. And he was certain God is going to make me the next king of Israel. Here comes Samuel. He's got his, his, uh, his jar of anointing oil. Here it is. This is my moment. His dad stood beside him. Jesse stood beside him thinking, this is my oldest son. He looks like a king. He acts like a king. Everything about him. I should have named him king instead of Eliab. But the prophet Samuel is told no by God. No, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Do you have any more? Well, there's David, but he's just a shepherd out in the field. Yeah, bring him in. That's the one God wants me to anoint king of Israel. 
And Eliab stood at the end of this line, and the anger was planted within him. And it simmers, and it simmers, and it simmers. Until this point, when he sees his younger brother there on the front line, asking, how can we... How can I take him down? If you're not going to do something about it, David says, I will. And Eliab burns with anger against him. Now I want to say on the side here, anger in itself is not necessarily sinful. Anger is not necessarily a sin in and of itself. Are you with me? And I know this, and I can confidently say that because we read in the New Testament how Jesus was angry at times. Mark chapter 3 talks about Jesus getting so angry because the religious leaders were arguing against him doing ministry on the Sabbath. Jesus says, no, you know what? You would save one of your animals. You would save livestock on the Sabbath. But you tell me that we cannot heal and we cannot save on the Sabbath one of our own. And Jesus was angry. Mark 3, verse 5. There's several other accounts where Jesus got angry. He got angry when the church took advantage of the poor. That angered Jesus. That should tell us something, friends. Jesus got very, very angry when he saw that the, the temple, God's house, rather than being a house of prayer, was turned into a mercantile. He saw that they were stealing money from God. They were stealing money from the church treasury. And Jesus got so angry. That might be one of the most popular accounts that we hear about Jesus getting angry, overturning tables. He, was do, he did something about it. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But I say, if Jesus was angry, I can confidently say it's okay for us to get angry sometimes. Amen? But Ephesians 4, verse 26, Paul writes, in your anger do not sin. Hold on to that little truth right there. There's more to the verse, a second half of that verse. But Ephesians 4, 26 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. So I'm going to be angry. We're all going to be angry. But in our anger, do not sin. Thank you very much. James confirms that there will be times that we get angry. This is what he says in, in chapter 1, verse 20 of James. Jesus' brother, by the way, this is what he writes. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then James adds, a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Hear those words again. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For a man's anger, a woman's anger, does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Here's what I want to add here. You will be angry. We all will have moments where we get angry. But if we dwell in that anger, if we let it simmer within us to the point where it becomes this guttural feeling, we begin to burn with anger and it boils over, 
God said, James writes, it does not bring about the righteous life that God desires of any of us. There's sin there. Are you with me? Go back to Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, I read that verse, Ephesians 4.26, and I read that second half, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And I don't interpret that to be a literal day, literally meaning that the, when the sun goes down, if you're still angry, now it's a sin. What I read that verse as, and what, what I hear Paul saying to us in the church is, don't, don't rest in your anger. Don't prolong it. Don't let it simmer within you for a while, even a moment. If you realize that you are angry, do something about it. Talk to someone about it. Maybe even go to that person about it. Come back to Tuesday morning. I went and I prayed and I read some scripture. Because I was confident, I'm going to call this person, and I'm going to tell that person that what this person did was wrong, and then I'm going to wait for that person to do something about it. I realized, no, I'm really just trying to bring that person down. So I'm going to call that person, and I'm going to tell them that they did wrong. Well, it wasn't really against me. They just did wrong, and I didn't like it, and I wrestled with that. I wrestled with that into the morning, into the afternoon, and I finally I went home. And I told my wife, and I said, I woke up this morning so angry, and she apologized, and I said, oh, it's okay. No, I, I told her, I said, I, I was so angry. She thought I was angry with her. And I confessed to her, I said, I had no reason to be angry, but I've been holding on to this for years. They didn't do anything wrong to me, but I'm still holding on to that. And I said, that, that to me bled into this message that so often we're angry with people who have not even done us wrong. We're just angry because we don't like the way somebody else acts or operates. See, because angry, anger, rather, becomes a giant in our lives. We're talking about these giants in our lives. The giant of anger. Anger becomes a giant in our life when it works its way in when it begins to simmer under the surface. And church, I tell you, there is no lack of things to be angry about today. Can I get an amen to that? There is no lack of things to be angry about. And I tell you this, I'd probably wager on it if I was a gambling person. What, what angers you probably doesn't anger me. What angers me, you'd say, well, I'm on the other side of that issue. But I considered this last night. There's no lack of things to be angry about, things that are going on in our community, things that are going on in our nation, things that are going on in our world today. There's no lack of things to be angry about. But when that anger begins to simmer within us, when it, becomes, when it starts to burn, as it says here in Iliab, when it begins to burn within us and we erupt or we boil over, there's something wrong. That's sinful. We need to do something about it. Let's talk about Eliab here. Eliab's anger toward David simmered under the surface. It began to burn within him, and soon that anger overflowed out of him. It erupted out of him. Who are you? You're just a shepherd. Where are those few sheep that you're supposed to be watching? Go back to them. Get out of here. You're nobody, David. Eliab erupts at his younger brother. 
the truth is, though, think about your own life. Don't think about that person sitting next to you or across the sanctuary from you or that person who's sitting at home somewhere. The truth is some people have been angry so long that they don't even recognize it anymore. Some people have been angry so long that it has become their identity. They carry it with them. Some people have been angry so long that they don't even recognize the anger that they're carrying. But I'll tell you this, other people do. Your friends and your family members, they see that anger within you. I don't care how long you've carried it, people see that anger within you. And if it's become your identity, just who you are, people start describing you as an angry person, you have a problem. Something that needs to be taken to the Lord. All right, I'll get off my soapbox there. I, jo- I, I joked um, last week, this last week rather, I was making dinner uh, with, with uh, one of my sons. We put some water on the, the stove. How many of you have ever boiled water? It's very simple. Fairly simple, isn't it? How can you mess up boiling water? So I put some water on the stove. It started to, started to simmer, started to heat up, Right? I'm impatient, so I like to see it. I don't know if adding salt to a, boil, to, to a pot of water, if that helps it. I don't know if cold water boils faster than hot water, you know, all these little myths, whatever. So we're watching it. It's simmering. It starts to steam. I'm thinking any moment now we can throw the, the, the pasta in. Any moment. Any moment. Nothing's happening. So we start talking. And wouldn't you know what happens? What happens next? It it boils over. Yeah, boils over. Absolutely. All over the stove. Now I'm angry about that, right? I pick it up for a second. I grab a towel, wipe it up, put it back down. I'm watching it for a minute. See a little calcium from the water still on the stove, and I'm concerned that's going to burn on there. So I go to get something to clean that up, right, to scrub it right away. I don't care if the burner's hot. I'm going to clean it up right away. Amen. Anyway, so... I go to get something, and what happens? What happens? It boils over again. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to realize what's going to happen when you put the pot right back down on the same burner. You haven't turned it down. It boils over again. makes even a mess even bigger. Whatever. Pasta's in there now. It's even... I was so angry. But I began to think about this. This is the same way that our anger, this anger works in our lives, right? It starts... It starts really simple, it starts to simmer, and we think, ah, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. Until it starts to boil, and then we think, you know what, I probably should do something about this. And then we get blinded by our anger. And it, it creates a huge mess, not only for us, but for those all around us. So I come back to this and I say it again, you will become angry. You will be angry. There will be moments where you are anger, angry. But don't let it simmer. Don't let it, that anger burn within you. Don't let that anger boil over. Why? Well, just as with this pot, anger distracts us from what God is doing around us. You ever been there? Anger dis- dis- distracts us from what God is doing around us. Think about Eliab. What's happening around him? 
there's a Philistine, there's a giant standing before him. Somebody's got to fight him. Somebody's got to win this battle in the name of God. But Eliab doesn't care. Because at this moment, he's so focused on David over here, he's so focused on the object of his anger, the one that he is projecting his anger on, that he forgets all about the battle going on over here. Anger distracts us from what God is doing around us, and anger distracts us from what God wants to do through us. Can you imagine how this story would have gone if David asks, who's going to take him down? And Eliab puts his arm around David and says, together we can do this, brother. Let's do it. Right? There'd be times that we'd be more often talking about Eliab with a great light and saying, you remember that time Eliab and David went out and they fought Goliath? They defeated him? And Eliab's name goes into, into the history books, into Scripture as this hero of the faith. Together, David and Eliab believed that they could do anything in the name of, G- in, in the name of God. But instead, Eliab focuses on David instead of focusing on what God has put before him. Anger distracts you away from what God's doing around you. Anger distracts you away from what God wants to do through you. So how can we overcome this this giant of anger in our life? I have a few points. All right, you ready? I don't preach points, so here we go. I've got a few points, and they all start with R. Here we go. The first is remind yourself that you are not perfect, and yet you are forgiven. Remind yourself that you are not perfect and yet you are forgiven. One of my favorite verses, Romans 6, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, while you were still powerless, while you were still weak, Christ died for you. While you were still wrapped up in your sin, Christ died for you. He came, He lived, He died for you because He wants to spend eternity with you. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man or woman, but... Very rarely, someone will die for a good man. But God, this is my favorite part, Romans 8, 8. But God demonstrated, 8, 8, 6, see, I'm all confused now. Romans 5, 8. Here it is, Romans 5, 8. I got it right that time. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. While you were still wrapped up in sin, while you were still wrong. Are you still blind to his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in your life? Christ died for you, knowing that one day, one day he would call you into his presence. See, and if we remember, if we remind ourselves that we are not perfect, how many of us are perfect? Raise your hand. Yeah. If we remind ourselves that we're not perfect... It helps us see others' imperfections through a different light, through a different lens. I'm not perfect, although some of you think I am. But I'm forgiven, amen? And I'm righteous and I'm holy in Jesus Christ. If we remind ourselves of that, it helps us see others' imperfections in a different light. Remind yourself that you're not perfect. Reflect. And determine what or who you are actually angry with. Okay, now think about when I said there are no lack of things that we can be angry about, some of you jumped right to something going on in our world today. 
I know you did. That's all right. I want to point this out. Eliab was angry at who? Who was Eliab angry with? David. He was angry at David, right? He erupts at David. He could have easily been angry with his dad for even calling David out of the field, out of, oh, away from watching his sheep, right? Eliab could have easily been angry with Samuel, the prophet Samuel, for saying, why did you anoint David and not me? But in fact, Eliab should have been angry. If he's going to be angry with anybody, he should have been angry with who? God. God's the one that chose David. God's the one that says, not him, not Eliab. I have, a couple weeks ago, he says, I have rejected Eliab to be king of Israel. God's the one that rejected Eliab. Not David, not Jesse, not Samuel, but God. So often, I think if we, if we were to reflect who it is we're actually angry about or angry with, I think it would come back to, God, what are you doing in our world or what are you allowing in our world today? And in that instance, the only thing we can do, church, is to take it back to God. God, I'm confused. God, I'm even angry. God, I've got a bone to pick with you. Right? Are we allowed to do that? I think so. I think we can bring our confusion, our questions before our Father who loves us. But then, one way to do that, I'll just say this quick, replace anger in our life with Scripture and prayer. Replace anger in your life with Scripture and prayer. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember who you are, that you are a son or daughter of your loving Father, your, your heavenly Father, rather. Remember who, who you are. What is your identity in Jesus Christ. I'm not an angry person. I'm not a sinful person in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with me in Jesus. I am holy in Jesus. Amen? I am righteous in Jesus. I am loved in Jesus. I am forgiven in Jesus. I am pure in Jesus. I am perfect in Jesus, no matter what my wife says. Amen? In Jesus, I am beloved. And I am chosen. I'm the one that he has died for. Remind, reflect, replace, remember, and then relinquish. Here it is. Relinquish control to God. It is not yours to avenge. Imagine the way our nation would change if we would take that on as a motto. It's not ours to avenge. It's ours to point to Jesus. Imagine how the world would change if the church... I'm not talking about people outside the church. Imagine what would happen if the church just started pointing to Jesus. And we stopped judging. We stopped hating. We stopped with all the anger that we have. We stopped holding grudges. And we just pointed to Jesus. Profound. I mean, I can't even describe because I don't know what would happen. I think Jesus would return if we started looking and pointing to Jesus. Re re relinquish control to God. It is not yours to avenge. It is not yours to seek revenge. One day, 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's it. And until that day happens, our job is simply to point to Jesus with our love, with our actions, with our lives. So all we as individuals have to do is become more and more like Jesus and start looking more and more like Jesus. All we as a church have to do is start acting like, get this, Jesus. That's it. That's our job. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? That means we don't have to solve all the world's problems, but we have to trust in Jesus to do so. Remind, reflect, re- replace, remember, re- relinquish. Oh, here we go. Resolve. Resolve angry, or, or anger completely and quickly. Completely and quickly. That means if God wakes you up at 3.30 in the morning, you should do something about it. Amen? So how do I do that? Well, maybe it means I go to that person. And I say, you know what? You really hurt me. I want to forgive you, but we need to talk through this. Or maybe it means you take it to, to, to God, you just leave it there. I'd say take it to God first. Take it to God and leave it there. And say, you know what? If, if I go to that person, I say this to, to them, it's really just going to cause more conflict. I just need to, as one pastor often said, build a bridge and get over it. Right? It's not something we like to hear. But sometimes that's what we need to do with our anger. Is just get over it. Get past it. Move on because it's holding you back. Remind yourself that you're not perfect, but you are forgiven. Even though you're not perfect. Reflect and determine what or who it is you are angry with. Replace the anger in your life with Scripture and prayer. Try that. Remember who you are. Remember your identity in Jesus Christ. Relinquish all control to God, as difficult as that might be or might sound. Relinquish all control to God. It is not ours to avenge or to seek revenge. And then finally, resolve anger, resolve conflict quickly and completely. Would you do me a favor if you would? Close your eyes or bow your heads or whatever. Imagine right now letting go of all the anger in your life. Imagine letting go of it all right now. Imagine no more grudges, no more bitterness, no more envy, no more resentment, no more hatred, no more anger. Imagine experiencing the the peace that Jesus promises. That peace, perhaps, that for some have, have been far, far out of reach. Imagine experiencing this complete peace of Jesus. A peace that goes beyond all understanding, all comprehension. Imagine 
being freed from this giant of anger in your life and moving forward in God's power to do what He has called you to do and to be who He has called you to be. Father God, it is my prayer today that you help us, each and every one of us, Lord, to recognize any anger in our life. Lord, give us an understanding, Jesus, of the things that have held us captive, this giant of anger that has ruled our life for years. Father God, I pray today that you would help us as we realize this anger to take actions, to take steps, Lord. Whatever you are calling us to, to do, Lord, to be free so that we can experience the peace that only comes through you. Father God, I pray today that you would help your church Not only this local body of believers, not only our faith family, but Jesus, that you would help your church around the world. That you would help your church specifically, Lord, in America right now to let go of our anger. To be free. To be not only peacekeepers, but Jesus, to be peacemakers. As you have, Lord, called us to be. Enable us, Lord, as your church to be truly your church. Father God, give us the blessing, we pray. Give us a peace today as we let go of our anger. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, friends, I would say some of us here this morning... We need to lay down some of our anger. A wonderful place to lay down our anger, a symbolic place to lay down our anger is the altar. That's where sacrifice is made. That's where we lay down burdens. We lay down things that are holding us back from Jesus. And so I tell you, if you feel drawn to the altar, it is open for you. Perhaps at this moment, laying down your anger looks like turning to the person next to you and saying, you know what? We need to talk. <laughs> Maybe laying down your anger looks like a phone call or a text message to someone right now. But I'd urge you to take whatever action is necessary, whatever action God is laying on your heart, whatever action God is confirming within you, to do so quickly and completely. Don't wait thinking, well, you know what, I've been angry about this for many, many years. It's really holding me back. God, I recognize that, but I'm going to wait a couple of weeks and see if it's still there. Take it to the Lord. Talk to someone if you need to. Talk to the person, the, the, the one that you are, <laughs> the one that you're projecting your anger on. Talk to them. And so this morning, 
Let's let God's Holy Spirit move as we stand, as we sing this symbolic song, I Surrender All. And let us respond to the Lord.